0: Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask this morning for the aid and help of your Spirit to give us an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to this part of your church through this particular portion of your word. Lord, calls it to be inspired, to be powerful, and to speak to our hearts what's profitable that would help us to know that we heard your voice saying something to us this morning. Speak to us now, Lord. You know what we need and what we're asking. Bless your word, and we pray in Jesus' wonderful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, is it possible this morning that perhaps something you are facing has you a bit troubled? Or maybe more than that, even honestly feeling that it's a bit hopeless. You know, I firmly believe from what I observe and interacting with people that probably one of the greatest struggles in humanity as a whole is a real internal battle with thoughts and feelings of hopelessness. And that can be for many different reasons, a financial problem, a personal problem, a marital problem, just the difficulties of life. I think it's a real battle and a constant struggle in the hearts of all of humanity to wrestle with a thought and feeling of loneliness. Well, this text this morning addresses how God himself is the answer to that. And more than that, how God himself wants to assist us in relation to that. If you look just back into verse 12, notice that Paul's last statement he made there in verse 12, he said, in him, that is in the Lord, the Gentiles shall hope. Now, as Paul's quoting a scripture there, it's as he quotes that scripture passage, the spirit of God triggers his mind to be flooded with thoughts of how God wants to instill hope into the lives of those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, leading then into verse 13, this sort of brief prayer that we get Paul now giving to us in verse 13 here, which sort of shows us how it's the word of God that prompts responsive prayer from the heart of one of his followers. As Paul quotes a scripture, it's the word of God that he quotes in verse 12 that prompts him now to pray in the next breath in verse 13 now after a time of lengthy spiritual instruction as paul spoke about how to experience salvation and now recently how to practically live the christian life he now transitions into intercession and i think these two should always go together just like two legs instruction and intercession because you can know a whole lot of information but if there's no inspiration and power of god's spirit to live out those things there's something missing And so Paul here wisely instructed them with a whole lot of truth about salvation and sanctification and how to live out the Christian life. But you notice he now transitions into intercession, asking that these believers would experience internally, internally what they've just learned about. He's now asking that they would experience it in their lives. As we look at this sort of spirit inspired prayer that the word of God Records for us, we find some prayers recorded in the Bible. We notice by bird's eye observation a couple of things. First, notice that Paul's prayer is birthed in an understanding of who God is. He calls him the God of hope. And it's his understanding of who God is that actually prompts him to pray in the way that he does. Notice also that Paul's prayer focuses on what they were experiencing internally the condition of their heart rather than their circumstantial experiences. Paul knew that what was happening inside a person was way more critical and had much more value than what a person was experiencing In their circumstances. So he's asking for God to satisfy them with a joy and a peace within as a result of exercising their faith, he says, so that they would be abounding or overflowing in hope as the Spirit of God was working in them. He begins, look with me in verse 13 in our text, by identifying God with another title here uh, that reveals God's nature and character. He calls him in verse 13 there, the God of hope. Now, we see similar titles like this all throughout the Bible, all of which reveal to us just fuller aspects of who God is and what God is like. We find these type of titles throughout the scripture so that we can know him better. And I think, too, that we can entertain more worthy thoughts of who our great God really is. For example, let me give to you a few of them. I jotted them down here. Psalm 31 calls him the God of truth which means that there's absolutely no error in any of God's ways. There's never error in any of God's word or error in any of God's works. He's always right. He's always righteous in what he does in all his dealings. Psalm 59 calls him the God of mercy, the God of mercy, which means God is a God who kindly restrains the full brunt of what we all really do deserve in each of our lives, that he's a God of mercy, that without reacting harshly in what we could be enduring, he restrains the full brunt of what we often deserve. Romans 15 calls him the God of patience, which means that he graciously bears up under the pressure of man's errors and our offenses against him as a holy God. And rather than reacting in a wrong or, or a harsh way, God is very patient and forbearing. 2 Corinthians 1 calls him the God of comfort, which means he's a God who compassionately consoles people who are struggling and going through hard times and he assures them in the midst of that that he is a God who wants to be with them and help them through their hardships. 2 Corinthians 13 calls him the God of love, which means that he is a God that is full of love with no conditions on that love we're extending that love and he's committed to what's best for each of us no matter what it requires on his end jesus christ is the greatest demonstration of that what it costs god and first peter 5 also calls him the god of all grace the god of all grace no matter how much grace you need no matter what kind of grace you need He's the God of all grace who gives favor and assistance that we need to endure whatever we're enduring, to accomplish whatever we need to accomplish, whether it's physical grace or emotional grace or spiritual grace or the grace of having mercy and forgiveness when we failed. He's the God of all grace. And now here in our text, verse 13, another title the spirit gives to us is we're told that he is the God of hope. The God of hope. Now let's talk about that word hope for a minute. The world's mentality when they hear the word hope or if you look at it as it's defined in the dictionary the worldly definition of hope is defined as sort of a a wishful thinking. Uh, For example you know I I, I hope that my husband says yes that we can go out to eat after lunch today or I I hope that that this will happen, right? I I sure hope that that doesn't happen. The idea is it's a wishful thinking that's not marked by certainty, but we're, we're wishing and hoping that something happens or hoping that something maybe won't happen. Now, the biblical concept of hope is something very different. That idea of hope is marked by the absence of certainty. It's an unsure wishing that something happens. In contrast, biblical or Christian hope infers a confident assurance that something is absolutely going to come to pass because God said it would. And because God has the power to perform it, irregardless of circumstances or who is involved. So hope from a scriptural standpoint, when the Bible uses the word hope, means the absolute expectation of good. It means a certain confidence that a good thing is ultimately gonna come to pass. It's a hope that conveys an assurance that something better will indeed come around the corner. So here the Bible speaks now of God, notice, as the God of hope. We understand what this hope is, but the Bible calls him the God of hope, which indicates a few things. Certainly, first of all, it indicates how God is the origin of supplying hope internally in the souls of human beings. You know, human beings by nature, living in this fallen world with a fallen condition, we're inclined, naturally, naturally towards feelings and thoughts of hopefulness of, of hopelessness in fact ephesians chapter 2 says that those who have no hope are those without god in the world so if a life is without god the bible says that life will automatically be prone to hopelessness the wonderful thing is is that god wants to have relationship with everybody and god can instill hope into a hopeless heart condition as a result of coming into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. There is then hope that can be experienced as a result of relationship with Christ. God instills hope. He gives a hope that was not there previously. The Bible says for the Christian that we have the hope of eternal life. Titus says that we are looking for a blessed hope That is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, coming back to this earth, resolving the chaos and insanity that's going on and bringing us home to be with the Lord in heaven that we might escape from this earth. So when a person is utterly hopeless, the wonderful thing is God can change that because God is the very origin of where hope arises and God can still hope into a heart. It also speaks of us that God is the God of hope, I think, secondly, That he's the God of hope in the sense that God is the object of hope. In other words, God offers each person something, or should I say more, someone that's reliable to hope in. God is an object of hope. God provides to us someone to actually hope in. Maybe today you feel like there's nothing left to hope in anymore. There's just nothing left to hope in. There's nothing in my life to hope in. There's nothing in this country to hope in. Listen, there is still. It's God. It's God. When you read the Psalms, the Psalmist in Psalm 42 repeatedly says to a depressed, discouraged follower of the Lord, almost as a reminder: Hey, why are you down, guys? Hope in God. Hope in God. Don't hope in the government. Don't hope in yourself. Don't hope in your friends. Don't even hope in the church. Hope in God. Hope in God. The, the, Paul says in the Acts chapter 24, I have hope in God. The psalmist says in Psalm 78, people can set their hope in God. God's not only the one who's the origin to instill hope, but look, God is a God of hope in the sense that he's the object of hope. He gives us something to always still hope in, and he's a reliable source to hope in. He has the power to perform what he promises. He's a God who changes not and is stable. And thirdly, I think the fact that he's the God of hope also reminds us of something else, and that's this: is that God operates in hope in relation to his perspective towards us. Now hear me in this. As God works among people, he does so in great hope for what he sees. I would say this this morning God has hope for anyone he has hope for anyone now that's why it's good I'm not God because there's a lot of people I don't have a whole lot of hope for (laughs) but God has hope for anyone and here's why because God knows what he can do in a heart and life and because of that, when God looks at people's lives, no matter what their condition, no matter where you're at this morning, God is not pessimistic when he looks at people's lives. He's always very optimistic and with a hopeful attitude of what he knows can happen, he has an outlook of optimism and hopefulness because he sees great potential in your life. He sees what he's able to do if you yield to him and cooperate with what he's doing. He sees the full potential. So he has a confident expectation of good and he has confidence that better things are still ahead for your life. He operates in hope towards you and in his perspective because he knows what he can bring forth in your life. He knows what he's gonna bring forth in your life. In fact, one of the great Bible promises, it's all over our placards and our bookstores, Jeremiah 29, eleven. Understand contextually, Jeremiah 29:11 was a verse, a promise and statement of God that came at one of the lowest points historically of the nation of Israel. When they had just failed miserably and they were on their way into 70 years of captivity and discipline for their errors and failures, that's when God said the most hopeful thing to them. Jeremiah 29:11. after a time of incredible great failure, God said, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. In other words, God was saying to them, look, yes, you failed. You've really made a mess of things and you're going to have to deal with some consequences and it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And it's going to be difficult. But he said, but I want you to know something as you're heading down that very painful path. I want you to know that I'm not in an angry, begrudging way trying to drive it to you and punish you. I want you to know that I'm already very hopeful of what's going to happen on the other side. I already have a great future. I can't. In fact, God's saying, I can't wait till the spanking's over. I can't wait till it's over because I have this incredible hope and future on the other side of that. So he says, look, don't get discouraged when you're experiencing the consequences or the struggles of it learn from it let that teach you the bible tells us in the book of hebrews that we should yield to the lord's discipline even when we fail that it produces in us the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it they were trained by their captivity and consequences but god says but but don't get disheartened and think i've given up on you or that I'm angrily trying to, ha- oh, I got a really evil plan for you now. You're getting the, you know, God said, no, I got a hope in a future. I, I can't wait. I'm already very optimistic of how you're going to recover from this and how you're going to return on the other side. So how wonderful that God retains and always has hope for everyone, for anyone. God is hopeful in the way that he is looking at your life this morning and sees the potential of what he's able to do. So Paul asks here in our verse, look at it as he goes on. He now asks that this God of hope, who he knows he is, he says, will fill you with all joy and peace in believing the word fill paul uses there speaks of you know pouring into a container until it comes all the way up to the brim to the absolute very top and look what he asked for god to fill them to the brim with may he fill you paul says with all joy and peace now again here's another term joy like hope joy is not the same thing as the temporary feeling of happiness often we equate happiness and joy not the same thing from a biblical standpoint. Happiness is dependent upon circumstance. You could say happiness is dependent upon what happens. So, depending upon what happens or doesn't happen, our happy meter goes up here, it goes down here, it goes up here, it goes down here. It's always fluctuating. And let me just say this this morning. If you're thinking that you always have to have a, you know, don't worry, be happy, and, you know, always have to, you know, be smile, because that's what Christians do. They smile all the time, they're happy. Look, can I tell you something? Feelings of happiness are always going to fluctuate in life because life has its ups and its downs. Life has incredible mountain peaks and wonderful occasions and it has some really low valleys and some really rotten, hard, difficult things that happen. So your happiness meter, it's going to shoot through the roof and then it's going to bottom out. But joy is something different because it's rooted in spiritual experience with God in the depths of a soul. Joy is something different. It's a deep inward sense of pleasure and fulfillment that remains with a person. It's something that can be an abiding experience because despite circumstances, I said, it's rooted in your experience with God. So as you're experiencing God, you experience pleasure and fulfillment in who he is. And those circumstances change. God never does. God remains good. God remains patient. God remains powerful. God remains gracious and merciful and those circumstances fluctuate, God doesn't. So therefore, it is even possible to be enduring very hard, painful, unpleasant times and still have joy. In fact, even scripturally, Paul said these words in the New Testament, as sorrowful yet rejoicing. Sorrowful, and yet at the same time, he said, always rejoicing. Now, rejoicing is the verb form of joy. So, Paul said, there can be times where I'm incredibly sorrowful, but yet something in the well, down deep in my heart, there's still an ability to rejoice within. And what was that ability to rejoice within? It's that delightful sense in the soul of someone who's having an experience with God that finds enjoyment in who God is. And the fact that though life is hard and difficult, Knowing God and experiencing Jesus gives us something to always still celebrate in. Man, this is one of the gifts of the Christian life. That your world and your life and your experience can be an absolute mess. Life could be a catastrophe. It can be falling apart at the seams in one of the hardest, deepest, most difficult times of your life. And you can come into the sanctuary of God and you can sit in that seat and music can begin to play and you can say, but Lord, you're still so good. You're still so beautiful. And you're so loving, and you're pure, and you don't change, and you're faithful. And Lord, one day I'm going to get to do this forever in eternity, and and all this hardship's going to go away. No more tears, suffering, and struggle. And there's something still to always rejoice in as we find joy in the Lord. And I believe that that inward experience of joy is something every human being craves for. They yearn for it. That's why people are trying so hard in life to find joy in so many other things. That's why people are striving to find joy in success or more money or some form of pleasure or you know, some position or some relationship or some achievement or pursuit because people are prone to think that they can discover joy, like happiness, in circumstantial experiences. When the reality is quite honestly there are many people on this planet who have their hands full and their hearts are really empty. They have their hands full of a lot of stuff and their hearts are really empty. Or they have their hands full with all their responsibilities and activities and successes and things to find, you know, identity and and, and their hearts are totally empty. Paul knew wisely that the only authentic source of encountering real lasting joy is God himself. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 29:19, "The humble shall also increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the holy one of Israel." See, joy truly is something that's given from Jesus by the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus in John 15 11 declared this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So what's the pathway to experiencing that inward delight and satisfaction of what joy is in the depths of your soul despite what's going on in life? It's very simple. It's encountering Jesus. It's encountering Jesus and continuing to have personal interaction with Jesus, getting alone with him. And as we have personal interaction with the Lord, who is the source of that, he then can produce, by as Paul says, the power of his spirit joy down inside of a soul. That's an abiding thing there of pleasure and satisfaction. And you'll find this. That's why Paul prays for God to fill them with joy. You'll find, and we discover, that inner joy oftentimes then in the life just translates into what we often call contentment because as you just find joy in the Lord, there's there's then an inner sense of contentment. Hey, everything else stinks, but but there's a sense of pleasure in the Lord. There's a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction here that nobody can take away from me in the Lord. And it's such a beautiful experience. Well, secondly, notice Paul also asked God not just to fill them with joy, but he also in our text asked that God would fill them with all peace, Now, peace is that internal calm. It's a sense of rest within oneself, a a state of inward tranquility. The idea being that that it's freedom from what we might call restlessness. It's the freedom from being all worked up in your thoughts and in your feelings. It's the freedom from inward agitation. It describes being undisturbed or untroubled on the inside. And when a person's experiencing peace, the idea is there's a sense of all is well. Yes, but, but but all is well. All is well. That's the idea of experiencing peace in the inward man. It's that inward assurance that despite what's happening outwardly, everything's okay. And when a person is experiencing the peace of God in their life, there's an awareness that there's not really a deep need to get all worried and anxious though there's the temptation to do it there's a sense when peace is there I don't need to worry and I don't need to struggle and fight and be you know entering into conflict because there's a sense that, that God's put a peace there and it's a beautiful glorious part of the experience of God's spirit in the life of a person as he deposits his peace there and can I say that who, who in their right mind does not want to experience peace within themselves Who in their right mind does not want inward calm and a sense of rest and an absence on the inside of being agitated and restless? Every human soul is yearning for peace and that's why so many people, again, are searching for peace in all kinds of empty pursuits, whether it's abusing a substance to try and give themselves temporary peace or whether it's going down all the avenues this life presents, all of which ultimately do what? They leave people empty and disappointed and so people will pursue peace will chase peace in that will follow peace in this and we continually find ourselves disappointed I think this is one of the greatest deceptions of the unsaved life and I know because I lived that life for almost 18 years one of the greatest deceptions of the unsaved life is you're searching for peace and all kinds of things and it's like running around a mouse maze is it not? Well, maybe around this corner well, I know what I, I know. So maybe it's around that. No, it's not that one. You so see, you back out and you, and you try this. Then you back out and then you go try that. and You back out and, and, and you're just running through a maze looking for peace and always disappointed as you keep hitting the roadblock and not discovering it. And I'll tell you this as a Christian I think that's the error as believers that we make sometimes too is that we, we enter back into the maze. We enter back into the maze. We're crazy enough and forgetful us, We go back into the maze sometime looking for peace, even as a Christian, trying to find it in this pursuit or that pursuit and, and complete and lasting peace can only be found, Paul saying, in God, from God. That's the only place lasting peace as we make peace with God regarding our sinful condition and the sense of restlessness goes away when we're not right with God. Once we accept Jesus, we make peace with God. And then more than that, as we continue to experience the peace of God that he supplies, again, how? Through Jesus and by the Spirit. Again, the words of Jesus in relation to peace. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So as we encounter Jesus, as we live obediently to Jesus The reward of that is he then blesses us with a supernatural peace in the depth of our soul and understanding not what or where, but who peace comes from. That's why Paul here asks God to fill them with peace in the depth of their soul that they could become settled and sort of give up the ongoing battle and fight in the inward man. And again, just like joy translates into contentment, inward peace translates into a settled and a stable mind and heart. And I think so many times there's instability and, 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 and it's peace. When God brings peace into the soul of a human being, they become stable. They become settled in their mind and settled and stable in their hearts and even in their circumstances. Well, next notice Paul then identifies in our verse here the human doorway whereby this joy and peace from God can enter into our souls. What's the doorway? I want some more joy. I need some more peace. Well, How's the doorway to, to flying it open to get it in there? Well, Paul gives the human doorway. He says, may God fill you, look at the text, with joy and peace, he says, in believing. In other words, the idea there is when or while you're believing. That word believing Paul uses there is not intellectual assent to something like a fact, the word believing he's using there means to consider something so true that you fully rely or rest upon it. Here's what Paul's indicating when he tags in there that little term the Holy Spirit gives to him. May God fill you with joy and peace in believing. What he's trying to say to us is that joy and peace is the supernatural benefit that happens amongst the realm of belief. That as I choose to believe God, as I choose to believe in his words, I choose to exercise my faith, it's through that that we open our hearts up to then allow God to begin to fill us with his joy and with his peace. It's through believing him and trusting him. Our one simple responsibility in the relationship is just to believe. It's to trust It's to depend and rely upon the Lord for who He is and what He says. In the spiritual life, we have to remember, it's believing that becomes the pathway to receiving the gifts of God spiritually. That's the pattern that God has established. It's in the realm of deciding to exercise our faith that we create a pathway, if you would, a doorway for the Lord to then send His peace and to send His joy into the depths of our souls. For example, in salvation... It's in personally choosing to then put your trust and belief in Jesus Christ as the only Savior for your sins and the only hope for eternal life. It's as you personally believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you experience salvation. And when salvation happens, you then experience the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus forgives you of all the sins and failures in your life. Jesus gives you the the, the hope and the gift of eternal life and the Spirit of God enters within and the life of Christ becomes a very personal thing. As He indwells your life, you then begin to experience His presence, you begin to experience Jesus' power and the resulting effect of believing and experiencing salvation is what? Automatically, there's an internal joy we never knew before. And there's a peace that floods into a human soul in salvation that was never there prior to accepting Jesus Christ. It's what Paul spoke of back in Romans 5 when he said this in Romans 5. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Listen today. If you've never embraced Christ, understand, if you've never believed in Jesus, this is available to you. You can experience joy and something to rejoice in the rest of your life until you go home to be with the Lord. And God can bring peace into your soul. The Bible says, there is no peace, saith the Lord, for the wicked. Listen, until you let Jesus take your sin out of your life and remove the guilt from your failures and mistakes, you're always going to be agitated. It's by divine design that God makes you restless as you struggle through the guilt of human sin, as we all do, so that we come to a place where we cry out to Jesus, Jesus, take my sin away. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I surrender, take over that then he can then flood your soul with that joy and peace as you believe in him. But then beyond that, as a Christian, it's in continually believing as we continue to believe who God is and what his word declares, we open our lives up to experience greater measures of the joy of the lord greater measures of the peace of god as we're navigating life decisions enduring difficulties facing temptations as a result of believing in the lord we find joy and peace will flood into our soul experientially isaiah spoke of this in isaiah 26 3 where he said this you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you see what isaiah said Lord, I can't keep myself at peace. I, this, is, this situation is making me so agitated and, and, and that's what happens. But he says, but God, you can keep people in peace who can't keep themselves peaceful. And how does it happen? Well, same way the Holy Spirit reiterates, whose mind is stayed on you, who trusts in you. As we just trust in you and keep our mind on you, he says, God, you keep us peaceful. You flood our soul with that peace that we can't produce ourselves. Now, I've discovered in my own life and walk with the Lord that oftentimes a lack of joy and peace in a believer's life is due to a lack of believing. Isn't it quite interesting as Christians we call ourselves believers? We're believers. And I find so many times in the Christian life a lack of joy and peace in a believer's life is due to a lack of Believing. It can be boiled down to that. Perhaps we're just not trusting the Lord in relation to something that we're facing. So we disturb our peace and you know pull out the joy that was in the depth of our soul Or maybe we're not believing that Jesus is just sufficient, that he is enough, that his grace is sufficient and that he has the power to handle our situation or sometimes we're not believing God's word is worthy to be obeyed. So because we don't think God's word is worthy of obeyed, We don't believe God's word and obey God's word when it's hard and we compromise and we disrupt our peace and we lose joy as we backslide or go back into sin and make concessions spiritually. Sometimes we're not trusting that what God's promised he will do, whether it's providing or helping or maybe we're not believing in relation to just who God is. And in so doing, we can almost sort of shut off the flow of of God's peace and joy from coming into us. It's kind of like just you get a kink in the garden hose, right? It's still on. God's wanting to send his joy and peace, but we kind of kink the garden hose so the flow of that joy and peace is not coming to us. Our text reminds us how a God of hope wants to fill us with joy and peace, but that happens in the midst of our believing. It's as we're believing, we open the doorway for that. A good question to ask this morning. Have you perhaps, maybe, cut off the flow of God's joy and God's peace simply by not believing? I find this happens in my Christian life sometimes. I sense a lack of joy or a lack of peace. So I revert to the Christian mechanics, just like when your car breaks down. You, okay, the car's broken down. You've got to bring it to the mechanic to fix the problem. Lord, I know this isn't right. I should have joy. I should have peace as a Christian. So I try the Christian mechanics. Read my Bible a little more. Pray a little more. Nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, But he says here that joy and peace come from believing. That is, we're believing. So here's the thing. It's not just the Christian mechanics. It's not just, let me read my Bible a little more. Let me pray a little more. It's, am I reading my Bible and believing what it says? Am I mixing faith and saying, look, I'm reading that, but Lord, I I believe that's true. And I believe that's going to come to pass. Do I believe what it says I'm not just reading it. I, and, and are we praying in a sense of expectation believing that God's actually listening and it's actually worth praying or do we just pray because that's the Christian mechanic and, and so we just launch up a prayer because it's the Christian mechanical fix but are we really believing it matters to pray that God's gonna act that God can act interesting remember Jesus said whatever things you ask in prayer believing you will receive. There is a connection there. So here the Bible is pointing out this important thing to us that God wants to give joy and peace. We open the doorway in our believing. Notice why Paul wants the God of hope to give them that joy and peace because it translates into something else. He says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. He goes on to say that you may then abound in hope. That word abound means to overflow. It pictures a river overflowing its banks. Paul wanted them to experience so much joy and peace as it would fill them up to the brim. And he says, when that joy and peace fills you up to the brim, as God fills you with that, what then flows out of that is hope. You begin to abound and overflow with a spirit of hopefulness so that no matter what's currently happening in your life, we can have an overflowing assurance that something better is around the corner that as we face things we can have an overflowing expectation there are still good things ahead and and something better is going to come apparently it seems the bible is showing us that a heart filled with joy and peace results in a spirit of hopefulness as god makes us abound with hopefulness as the result it's almost like a like a spiritual recipe as, as we keep on believing we open the door of opportunity for God's joy and peace to be flooded into our souls and it's God's mixing in joy and mixing in peace and it's filling us up with joy and peace that the end result is joy begins to rise like a cake in the oven joy begins to just or excuse me hope begins to just rise up within our lives and we become hopeful And a spirit of hopefulness begins to take over us so that even when times are hard, we can still be hopeful that something better is around the corner for us because we know who our God is. It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 27 where he said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And even when we're going through times where there are heavy pressures upon us, we can confidently be hopeful that God is still working within us. Something good within us, even amidst the pressures. Paul said back in Romans 5, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance develops character and character, he says, gives hope. And he says, God's hope, that'll never disappoint. It'll never disappoint. It's the one hope that is guaranteed. So even if we're hurting or going through hard times, we even hold on as that joy and peace within us is there, that there's a joyful, hopeful expectation of, you know what, after all this, man, I got heaven on the other side. So if I can't find anything here, I can't see how God's doing something good in me amidst this, and I can't be hopeful that, Lord, this is hard, but I know that you're working in me and you're shaping my character Even if I can't manage to muster that up, the Bible says that we can always still have hope in the glory of God. That we can realize this life isn't it. There is something beyond this, something on the other side. Would you agree? Our world and the current days we're living in is a breeding ground for hopelessness. It's a breeding ground for hopelessness. If all we have to experience is this life on this earth, that's going to cause anybody to be hopeless. If all a person has and can find is relying on themselves for everything they face in this life, that's going to cause depression and hopelessness for anybody. If if all a person does is live independent of God, no matter what they pursue, how talented they are and how successful they are, if a person lives independent of God, it will always end in hopelessness. But the Bible is saying here that God wants to and is able to instill hope into our lives. That is the God of hope, he wants to deposit so much joy, so much peace, so that we never become hopeless, but instead we will be abounding, overflowing with hope. And why would God want a Christian to be abounding, overflowing, spilling over in their banks with hope to help a very hopeless world? with a lot of hopeless people so he wants hope not just for my sake to be within me but to abound that I can extend hope to an empty hopeless world notice the last thing Paul says in verse 13 here and this is critical he says now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope key term by the power of the Holy Spirit the last thing that Paul points out is showing us that our need is for supernatural help from God to experience those things, that they don't come naturally. They come supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. This reveals to us that though we can't create joy and peace and hope within ourselves, the Holy Spirit can produce those things within us by His power. That word power that Paul uses there, dunamis, it refers to a strong, miraculous power that overcomes any resistance and that is able to affect dynamic changes, like when a stick of dynamite blows off in, a, in the midst of a, an area. We have to remember the Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, and all of its experience is a supernatural life. It's a supernatural life. Let us not become so accustomed to reading our Bible and you know, the Christian dynamics that we start to think that the, the, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we experience everything in the Christian life. It's not by self-resolve or human determination or personal efforts to improve. I can't conjure up within myself the fruit of the Spirit. I'm a jerk. It doesn't work. You can ask my wife. It just doesn't work. I just can't get more loving and be more peaceful. With, you know, I can't act more optimistic in my outlook it's not by god's design it's the spirit's power that produces within us what god's word intends for us i guess the best way to illustrate that it's sort of the difference between a rowboat or a power speedboat they're both trying to get to a destination but a rowboat requires human effort a power speedboat is relying upon an alternate source of power to propel it forward into what it's trying to accomplish and the inward experiences that God intends for us cannot come hear me by straining at the oars it's not going to come by straining at the oars and human effort and it's intended to come by the power of god's spirit it's almost good to ask ourselves on occasion is your christian life is it like is it like rowing or is it flowing by the power of the Holy Spirit doing something inside of you as you abide in Jesus and the sap of God's Spirit flows into your life to empower you to experience what you can't produce for yourself. He says, yes, God wants to give you joy. God wants to give you peace. God wants to give you hope. Great, I'm going to try and be more peaceful. I'm going to try and be more joyful. I'm going to try and get more hopeful and optimistic. And, 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 and Paul says here, that's never going to work. You know, that's why Paul's praying here. He says changes happen. Hearts and attitudes and minds can change. But Paul understood God has to work these things in. That's why Paul's praying. Paul's praying here because perhaps, like me, sometimes you're trying to experience what God says in his word about the Christian life by your own power. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. Paul would say, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing by the power of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit is working in you, Ephesians 3 says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. His power working in us. Hey, this morning, do you sense a lack of joy or peace in your heart currently? God can supply that. By his power working in you, producing peace that you can't produce for yourself. Producing his joy in you, producing hope in you. This morning, are you struggling with a sense of hopefulness? Let God help you overcome that by his power working in your life. Maybe you even feel somewhat frustrated or hopeless regarding your inward condition and you've resolved nothing's ever going to change. I'm just always going to be like this listen, can I ask you this morning to please not forget power belongs to God and the Bible we read says that with God nothing is impossible. Inward change can still happen in your life. Here's how it's going to happen. In believing by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, let me leave you with this thought. Are you experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today? Are you experiencing the power or are you tired of rowing at the oars? If that's the case, why not just humbly admit as we conclude our service this morning and turn to the Lord and worship, Lord, I know what my need is down in here. And I know what the struggle is down in here. But I believe that you can help still. And so Lord, please, would you work in me? Would you produce in me by the power of your spirit what I can't do for myself and give God a chance to work. Amen. Let's stand together.